Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. How does the New Testament describe a child of God? Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry. And with me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. Yesterday, we began looking at a conference message by Dallin H. Oaks. It's titled Kingdoms of Glory, and if you'd like to read along as we go through this sermon that he gave, it can be found in the November 2023 edition of the Leahona Magazine. In yesterday's show, we were talking about how imperative it is when we are going to have a conversation with a Latter-day Saint to make sure that when we use certain words that we understand each other as to how, for instance, a Latter-day Saint defines certain words or phrases, as opposed to how we as Christians define certain words and phrases. In yesterday's show, we began the message that Dallin Oaks gave in General Conference, and this would be in October of 2023. He says, people often ask, how is your church different from other Christian churches? He says, among the answers we give is the fullness of the doctrine of Jesus Christ. In other words, if you're not a Latter-day Saint, you don't go to the LDS church, then you don't have the fullness of the doctrine of Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, foremost among that doctrine is the fact that our Heavenly Father loves all his children so much that he wants us to all live in a kingdom of glory forever. Moreover, he wants us to live with him and his son, Jesus Christ, eternally. His plan gives us the teachings and the opportunity to make the choices that will assure us the destiny and the life we choose. So it's all about choices you make. It's all about things that you do. Depending on what you like to do in this life, that's going to determine where you end up in the next life. But we're talking about this understanding of God's children. Dallin Oaks, like many Latter-day Saints, believes that all of humankind are the literal children of God born to heavenly parents in what Latter-day Saints call the pre-existence. That's not how the New Testament understands that term, and we've been looking at what the New Testament has to say about that. Yesterday, we looked at John chapter 1, verse 12. We also looked at 1 John 3, 1 through 3. Now we're going to turn to the book of Romans. What does the Apostle Paul have to say about that term? In Romans chapter 8 and verse 14, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. And then verse 16 says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now notice the difference here. Paul makes it clear that if you are led by the Spirit of God, you, in fact, are sons of God, or daughters of God even, children of God. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, if Dallin Oaks' understanding that all of humankind are the children of God, you have to ask, are all members of the human race led by the Spirit of God? 
The obvious answer is no, they're not. Most people in this world, most humans in this world, don't even recognize God for who he is, much less being led by the Spirit of God. Does the Spirit bear witness to these individuals that they are children of God? Well, no. Now, maybe the culture might make them think something like that, but that certainly can't be attributed to the Holy Spirit. It would be wrong to say that he is the one granting them that feeling or that experience. The only way you qualify to be a son of God in this context is that you have placed your faith in Christ. That's what makes you a son of God. We're going to look now at Romans chapter 9, verse 8. It says, that is, those who are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as a seed. It is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God. But wouldn't that be everybody else outside of the body of Christ? Of course it would mean that. No, just because they're born as a child of the flesh. In other words, you have children, those children are your children of the flesh. That does not necessarily grant them the title of a child of God. That's what Paul's trying to get across here. And this is the idea of spiritual adoption. I mean, in Romans, he's making a big point about the Jews and their relationship with God and the Gentiles and how they were adopted in. And so very clearly, you can become a child of God, even though you don't come from Abraham's seed, but you are adopted into the family. And it's through faith and faith alone that Paul emphasizes throughout the entire book of Romans. And yet we are told that when we become children of God, that we do become what you say is a part of Abraham's offspring. But it's more in a metaphorical sense, a spiritual sense. It's not a literal sense. And yet we find that in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26, it says very simply, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. Now let's look back at what Dallin Oak says about the children of God. He has the idea that all humans are literal children of God. But do we find that in this writing from Paul to the Galatian church? It doesn't sound like it. He says that you're only a son of God through faith. Without that faith, it would be erroneous for you to assume you are a child of God. And verse 29 says, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Just what I was talking about before, you are adopted into the family of God, so to speak. If we go on to chapter 4, it says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, or we could say your heart personally, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. This is not something that's granted to every human being, but yet in Mormonism, that's how they define sons of God or children of God. That's every single human being would fall under that category. Now you can see, if you have this erroneous idea of what a child of God actually is, it's easy to see why they get so many things wrong down the road. And I'll tell you, Eric... I find one of the most abominable things about this idea that all human beings are the children of God is because many people understanding how a good and faithful father should treat his sons and daughters, they assume 
well, he can never do anything that would be uncomfortable for me. So it almost gives the person this idea of a universalism that God's going to allow everybody and everybody's going to have some kind of heavenly bliss in the next life. That's not really what Mormonism teaches, though they have a type of universalism. It's not the universalism in the definition that's commonly understood, and that being that all human beings, regardless of their sinfulness, will find salvation in the next life. That's not what Mormonism teaches, and that's the whole purpose of this talk. Dallin Oaks is going to describe in Mormonism what it means to have a different degree of glory. He says that Heavenly Father loves all his children, all of humankind, so much that he wants us all to live in a kingdom of glory forever. Moreover, he says, he wants us to live with him and his Son, Jesus Christ, eternally. And because of that, he has a plan that gives teachings and an opportunity to make the choices that will assure us the destiny and the life we choose. It just begs the question, though, Bill, if he wants us to live with him and his son, Jesus Christ, eternally, he certainly didn't make it very easy for a person to actually qualify to get to this blessed celestial state. That's a great point, Eric, because I've often said to Latter-day Saints when they talk about this restored gospel that they claim to believe in, gospel, of course, means good news. How could their view of the gospel be good news if the requirements to receive the benefits of this restored gospel are set so high to make it impossible for an individual sinful human being to do everything that is required? Now, I know they blithely talk about keeping commandments and repenting, but you must also, when you hear those words, ask what those words mean in the context of Mormonism. And as we're going to see in this conference message that Dallin Oaks gave, he uses these words. He doesn't always define them as deeply as I think he probably should have, but it is a conference message. They only get about 20 minutes to say something. And usually after a conference message, you probably have more questions than you had before he started, because he doesn't have a lot of time to elaborate on these things. Well, we're hopefully going to take some time to elaborate on some of these things and make it a little bit more clear for our listeners who are not members of the LDS Church. We call it the impossible gospel for a reason. Mormonism has all these requirements, and you ask Latter-day Saints if they're doing all that they're supposed to do. How many commandments are they supposed to keep? All of them. How often? All the time. How are you doing at that? And so often we get the, I'm trying, I'm doing my best. Off air, Bill, you had an illustration you gave that I thought was really appropriate having to do with a lottery ticket. Could you maybe explain what that would be? Well, yeah, because he talks about opportunity. Well, you could say the lottery is an opportunity, but what do you have to do in order to win that lottery? First of all, you have to buy the ticket. You have to perform a work in buying the ticket. But then you're only going to be one in how many millions that have a chance to really get the prize from that lottery. The reason I, I think of it that way is because it's so difficult to win the prize of exaltation in Mormonism when you really look carefully at what LDS leaders have said an individual must do. You see, when I'm studying this subject, I don't want to look at words and just gloss over them. 
I want to know specifically what LDS leaders have meant when they use these terms. And as I said yesterday, that's the only way we're really going to communicate with our LDS friends. And I think in doing that, showing the severity when it comes to the definitions of these words, hopefully, hopefully, their eyes will be open to the fact that if that's the way their church is defining these words, they're going to see they're not doing this. And if this is what's demanded of them, it would be wrong for them to assume all is well with their souls if they're not doing what their leaders have said they should be doing. You see, this is why, folks, we stick to the quotations from the LDS leadership. It doesn't really matter to us, to a certain extent, what an individual Latter-day Saint might say about what he believes personally. That really becomes irrelevant, because if you became a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, you would be expected to follow what the leaders say, not what an individual layperson in the church tends to believe. That's why we call this viewpoint on Mormonism. Mormonism was a good word before Russell M. Nelson came on the scene and said we shouldn't use that word anymore, but it's a good word to describe the all-encompassing theology of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Nelson can get rid of the word if he wants, but I'm still going to use it because it explains very well what we're trying to get across, not only on this show, but also in our writings. So tomorrow we're going to continue looking at Dallin Oaks' talk titled Kingdoms of Glory. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another Viewpoint on Mormonism.